Savage. Austin Jackson back looks up. You can put it on the board. Yeah. Tame center for Kane. He scores. Oh, Patrick Kane set up by Jonathan Tame. The dynamic duo comes through in overtime. Hawk wins. Looking. Finds Rose. Rose trying to get open. Fires away. and welcome to a new episode of the Cloudgate Sports Podcast. Baseball is fully underway. We got a lot of things to talk about, uh, Cubs and White Sox. Also, Blackhawks got a lot of interesting things to talk about today. Uh, they are playing Dallas right now. They are currently losing 2-1. to one. We'll get a uh, panic button update from Pat. Not looking good, but uh, we'll get the update. Bulls are turning around. Uh, right now, they're beating the... Uh, who are they playing tonight, Pat? Toronto. We're yeah. currently up. Uh, I have the score pulled up right now. Where are we at? We're up uh, 87 to 67 with three minutes left in the third against Toronto. So looking good for tonight. Uh, got some Bears talk. Drafts coming up. Shit's getting interesting. But w- today is a positive podcast for the most part. So we're going to try to keep it as positive as possible. So. PT, go ahead, take it away with the Bears. For sure. I mean, once again, we really don't have much with the Bears. Um, there really hasn't much going on. We talked about how we're kind of going to slowly introduce um, some draft stuff in here as well, so we'll do that. Um, but to start off, um, we will talk about how Anthony Miller was in the news for the Bears the other day. Um, there's been talks uh, that the Bears are openly shopping him for a trade. Um, that is interesting because it is kind of our wide receiver room um, is kind of packed right now. And as crazy as it sounds, uh, Mooney took his spot essentially last year. Um, Anthony didn't have a very good year this year. Um, he's dropped some balls that he shouldn't have. And he's kind of been an issue on and off the field, uh, whether it's kind of fighting people or kind of kind of. Um, I don't know, egging on bad stuff on social media. So it's stuff you never really want to have in your locker room. Uh, unfortunately, um, I was a big Anthony Miller guy, uh, but just last year was kind of just kind of put me off. I know I kind of put you guys off as well. Um, he just didn't do much enough uh, for the Bears. And Mooney kind of took that spot over. I think he will be in that number two slot next year for our Bears with, behind A-Rob. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens there. So I guess we'll see what happens. I really don't know what they could get from especially with the low numbers he produced last year. So just keep an eye on that, Bears fans. Then we'll move over to another trade that actually happened. Um, Sam Darnold was traded to Carolina, um, and the Jets received a sixth-round pick in 2021 and a second and fourth rounder in 2022. Um, and Carolina received Sam Darnold, uh, which is kind of crazy because now you got to look at the quarterback – room in Carolina and you have Teddy Bridgewater and uh, now Sam Darnold. So now that kind of makes clear that the Jets will be um, 
drafting a quarterback with their second overall pick. Um, so we keep an eye on that as well when we look at draft stuff. And then now we're looking at Teddy Bridgewater. What's going to happen with him? Is he going to compete or is he allowed to explore trade options? So I think that'll be something to keep an eye on too um, in the NFL. Now we'll move on to the draft. Uh, we don't have much right now. We'll just kind of get our feet wet with this, boys. Um, if you, we looked at most of the mock drafts that have been put out, we look at first rounders. What, what, are, what are people thinking that they're going to the uh, draft? And the three main positions I've seen so far, uh, cornerback, offensive line, and wide receiver. Um, so with that being said, those are kind of our three main holes um, that are that our front office needs to fill in the draft in the off season. And hopefully that we can find something in the, in the earlier round because Ryan Pace has not been the guy to draft very well in the first round. Also another interesting thing as well is to look at um, the possibility of trading up for a quarterback. Um, the Falcons have been open about talking about trading their fourth pick in the first round, which will be interesting as well. I know that the teams interested in that is Denver, um, New England, Washington, and Chicago. So, boys, my question is you, um, is do you guys trust Ryan Pace trading up and getting a quarterback? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, no, definitely not. Don't want to see a Mitch 2.0. Even though we do love Mitch, just don't want that situation to start all over again. Now, with Anthony Miller, and I will, I'll talk about Pace's strong point right now. And that's picking later in the draft, later rounds. And Anthony Miller would probably get us just that, later picks in the draft, whether that's one or two uh, picks later in the draft. But that's Pace's strong suit. So why not stock up on those? Don't even worry about trading up. Just stay where we're at. Whoever we get, we get. I would like to get a wide receiver, uh, probably because we would be losing Anthony Miller at some point. Uh, get a wide receiver. Get that wide receiver room stronger. And then the Sam Darnold trade. I mean, awesome to see that he's finally getting out of New York and going to Carolina. He'll get some good competition with Teddy. Uh, they, I know that they did say Teddy could uh, look at trade options. And he is a solid quarterback for teams that are really looking for one. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does get dealt. I think that this is Darnold's team. I think that he is going to be the guy coming out of camp. Uh, so... Uh, great to see him getting out of New York. I really like this trade, especially for Sam Darnold, who has shown promise in uh, very uh, various moments. He's shown that he has great potential, but has just struggled in the New York system. So it's going to be nice to see him move on from that and go to Carolina. I have a strong feeling that Bill Belichick's really going to push that number four pick. And he's and I want it's Bill Belichick and it's the New England Patriots. It's, it's Robert Kraft. I don't be surprised if they pull the trigger and make that move. And Justin Fields is wearing a pass jersey um, come the uh, come this upcoming season. And I don't think obviously he won't start. I think Cam will be their starter. And they're going to try to adjust uh, Justin Fields into the, into the scheme of things, or maybe even Mac Jones potentially too. But I don't hate the idea of trading up in the draft, but I don't want it to be a quarterback. Just because at this point, like, we all, I mean, Trevor, Zach, Mac, and Justin are essentially going to go top four, top five. Trey Lance, he's not going to, I think he's not going to make it out of the top ten. I think somebody will pick him up. Uh, not Carolina anymore. Dallas might, uh, won't either, but Arizona may not either. So Denver, maybe Denver is probably that one team that if they don't take him, he'll slip out of the, the first or the, the top 10. 
my idea of Penny Sewell, um, potentially being traded for for the Bears, him dropping into the top or out of the top ten, I think that is out of the picture now because Carolina solved their quarterback problem or a quote unquote solved their quarterback problem with Sam Darnold. So I would assume if if possible, they're going to try to snag Penny Sewell at number eight and their third pick. However, if we're looking towards this like 10, 11, 12, 13 area, we have a couple really good dudes. We have uh, uh, Christian Darishaw, or Darishaw, I think his name is, Virginia Tech offensive tackle. Jalen Waddle sitting at the top uh, right around the 12, 15, or 12 to 15 mark, uh, YRC from Alabama. Um, we also have the other, Devontae Smith, too, from Alabama. He's projected to go to Detroit at 16. So if, we're, if there's a guy that we want specifically – that we feel like was feasible for our team, whether it's an old lineman, which I think is my number one person, my number one spot for the Bears. If we're looking to shop Anthony Miller, we want to get a wide receiver. There's some pretty legitimate wide receivers that we could potentially make a, a move for. And if we're moving up from what we're 20, or maybe moving up to 16 or 15, it's not going to be a lot, man, to like move up in that that amount in a draft. It really isn't. So when it comes to trusting Ryan Pace, I don't hate it as as long as it's not a quarterback. Because at this point. If we're going to take a quarterback, let's waste a second or a third rounder on like a, a Kellen Mond type thing. Let's not, let's not, I think the top four, the, the main guys are projected to go top four, top 10 at the least, depending on where Trey Lance falls. So I don't hate the idea of trading up in the draft, but it's got to be for the right person. Yeah, I think you're right. And I definitely think we'll dive more into that kind of stuff in future episodes of what we're really targeting and we really can get into positions for sure. Um, but I think you guys said the best, these picks that, we could receive for Anthony Miller would be huge for Ryan Pace, especially this year with how well he drafts in later rounds. And hopefully he can make um, really good use out of those as well. Um, even if we do want to trade up to maybe get a Penny Swole or um, a good wide receiver somewhere down the road. Um, it, it does concern me a little bit. I think if we were kind of to rate the positions um, and need the most, I think it would go off. It's a line cornerback, then wide receiver. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's really interesting because I think when you look at it, we, we kind of use our tight ends quite a bit, too. And I think we're going to want to use um, them quite a bit next year, especially with our quarterbacks not being as good as that we, we want them to be. Uh, so I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I think they can do a lot of things. And I really think that we're really flexible here um, because we have a lot of holes to fix, unfortunately. Um, but with that being said... Um, I think, and my last time I was saved just for the NFL completely, is I, I feel bad for Teddy Bridgewater, man. He can't just find a home. Uh, he's being shipped all over the United States, and hopefully this next move is the right move for him uh, because I think everybody is pulling from him and rooting for him because he, he, he is an incredible story of his comeback, and he played so well for the Saints. We're all kind of hoping that he would be able to find a home by now, but hopefully this next trade he will be able to. So I think that wraps it up for the Bears, the NFL. Um, not too much going on. It's going to start getting crazy because the draft is coming up, I think, towards the end of this month. So we'll definitely start to dive deep in the next couple episodes. Yeah, so that does it for our Bears section of this podcast. Now it's time to move to some baseball. Baseball is in full swing. And we're going to start with the White Sox, who have had an interesting season so far. Let's start with the positive of tonight. Lance Lynn with 11 strikeout complete game shutout, throwing over 110 pitches. Uh, Lance Lynn and Tony Larusa have known each other for quite a while now. Uh, going back to Lynn's rookie year with the Cardinals, 
where he won a World Series in 2011. Uh, so Larusa won a World Series with Lynn in his first go round. Hopefully, this next go round we see the same uh, same uh, outcome. But Lance Lynn looked absolutely dominant tonight. He looked very good in his first start. Also, we got Lance Lynn for this very reason. He pitches over 200 innings every year, and complete game shutouts are a perfect way to get to that 200 mark. Absolutely dominant tonight. Made the Royals look silly. Also, great to beat Brad Keller, the guy that, if you don't know who that is, that's the guy that hit Tim Anderson uh, two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, in 2018 or 2019, when there were still fans. But absolutely great to beat the Royals. We got to beat the teams in the AL Central, which we definitely have not seen so far. This was our first in-division series uh, game against the Royals. We faced them 18 more times this year. Steve Stone made it greatly clear that we need to win these games against the AL Central. We did a great job of that last year, and that's why we made the playoffs. We need to beat the teams that we need to beat, the Royals, the Tigers, we need to beat those guys as much as possible, the weaker teams. And then the Twins, hopefully we get over 500 against them. It'll make us look great for this uh, upcoming season. Now, your mean Mercedes. You, we have to start with the biggest highlight of our team to talk about in this section. Your mean has been absolutely unbelievable. Taking the league by storm. Uh, us White Sox fans, we knew of Yermin. He had a very good spring training last year in 2020. Got to play in one game last year up on the big league club. Did not get a hit. Uh, one second. Didn't get a hit last year uh, in the time that he was up here. And then this year, I mean, just the batting average is above 500. Uh, he started the season 8-for-8, eight eight, the first person to do that since, like, 1900. Absolutely unreal for a rookie to start the season with eight hits in a row. And he didn't stop there. He just complete, just continues to add on hits, continues to have multi-hit games with a 485-foot home run today in the home opener right after Yohan Mankata hit his. Uh, just when this team needs to capitalize, they do. And your mean Mercedes did, did just that today with capitalizing. The Royals were down. Here's a 480-foot absolute bomb from your mean Mercedes. What do you guys have on your mean Mercedes so far this season? I mean, I couldn't be happier for the guy. It's it's so crazy how he took the world by storm uh, so quickly. And so, so you, you know you made it. Uh, when Albert Pujols and Mike Trout want to take a picture with you. Um, I think it was also a pretty s special moment to get your first career hit ball uh, tossed you by Albert Pujols. So just a lot of cool moments, I think, that the White Sox and fans share with you. I mean, in the past, in the past week, I mean, he, he's literally played um, unreal. He's saying, and I can't even get over how well he's playing because this is, this is stuff you don't see um, at all in the MLB. And the way he's playing right now is, is, is what, you, what you call he's just, he's hot, man. And you can't stop him right now. And he, he, he hit a ball today uh, to the moon. So when you're seeing that kind of stuff, um, it's going to help other people too uh, in the lineup not really worry about having to produce runs 
um, and have the pressure on their shoulders, which I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit about a couple of players. Um, so hats off to him. We couldn't be more happier, and we're going to keep on rooting for him to keep on doing what he's doing because he is lighting the world on fire right now. You can't read about it or see tweets about it or watch the games and see what he's doing and not have a giant smile on your face. Like It's, it's absolutely electric to watch. It's a blast. I'm looking forward for him to step up to the plate. Um, and it, I think PG said it best. Like The fact that we don't really have to rely on like guys like Yoan and Abreu and Tim. Like Tim goes down. We lost Eloy. Uh, Billy Hamilton goes down. Like we're having struggles on the defensive side of the ball. We need to kind of a pick me up, and we can rely on a guy like him to come in and do that. It's a great thing, and hopefully, you know, we're if he can keep this up for the entire season, I'm I'm all for it. But we, hey, you give me one of one or two solid hits, give me an RBI every couple games. You can't complain too much, man. I mean, like this is the the perfect example, and his story is awesome. If you don't know his story, I'm. Brandon, you may know better than I do. He's come a long way to finally get this shot, and he's making the best of the opportunity. It's a next-man-up type situation. We lose our starting left fielder, our expected DH, and Andrew Vaughn. He steps up to move to left field. Mercedes gets a call up to play the DH position, and he makes the best of it, and he's, he's letting the whole MLB know that he's here to have some fun and leave a mark on this on this team, and that's exactly what he's doing, man. It's, it's, it's an absolutely awesome thing to see. And I hope it keeps going on for the rest of the fucking season, the rest of the time he's uh, part of this organization. Yeah, uh, it, it's great to see a young guy who really has been through it all. Pat, you were talking about his story. I mean, started with the Washington Nationals, then went to the Baltimore Orioles, then saw some time in independent ball, uh, was signed by the Orioles after independent ball, uh, then was traded to the White Sox. And now he's up on the big league club doing great things. And hopefully that continues throughout the year. I was kind of worried with him sitting yesterday and him maybe having a rough day today. But, man, it's, things are still clicking for him, and uh, it's great to see. So we're going to start with the Angels series here. He was a part of the Rule 5 draft, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And didn't you say, isn't there, like, one like, – the only, like, notable – White Sox from the Rule 5, wasn't it Scotty Pods or Aaron Rowan or somebody like that? Didn't Scotty Pods, yeah. Ago? Scotty Pods, yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, so another Rule 5 pick just to show that that Rule 5 draft isn't always a waste. So starting with the Angels series, a lot of a lot of worried people. A lot of people worried on Twitter, Facebook. I had to leave multiple groups on Facebook because I couldn't deal with the negativity anymore. Uh, the starting rotation uh, looked good at times. Uh, Carlos Rodon looked absolutely uh, amazing at the start of the season. So he was probably the biggest shining spot in uh, the rotation. And then Cease looked good at the end of the game. Definitely struggled with command in the early part. Uh, didn't look like he had much confidence. But that confidence built throughout the game. So that's good to see that. The deeper he goes, the more comfortable he gets. Because it used to be, it, last season was the complete opposite. He'd lose his command, he'd lose his confidence, and he'd be done by the third inning. Uh, we got to stretch him along a little bit, which is very important with the bottom part of our rotation. We need those guys to stretch out as long as possible so we don't have to rely on uh, 
we don't have to rely as much on the bullpen. Uh, like Liam Hendricks, we've barely even seen this year, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit later. And then with Giolito, uh, obviously our opening day starter, looked very good. Had, I mean, just the nastiest stuff made Mike Trout look stupid. His changeup was amazing. He he also had a very good job uh, commanding his changeup with his slider. That two combined was filthy and very lethal. Uh, but now, this is the biggest negative of the whole series, and so far this season, is the defense. We even saw it a little bit tonight. Then again, it was slippery, it was wet, it did rain a lot. So uh, the fact that we had no errors today was very was a very big plus. Now, starting the season off with Luis Robert letting a fly ball hit the top of his head was not good, and the memes that came out of it, like you would think opening day for the White Sox, great. There's going to be some great posts. The most seen post had to be Robert taking the fly ball off the head. And just the defense just all together, Madrigal struggled. Eaton dropped that fly ball in the outfield. It, it, it's just things that shouldn't be happening. And then we can't capitalize on double plays. Uh, struggling on that mightily. Uh, Nicky, even tonight, struggled a little bit. Hopefully he can, because he's known as a very good defensive baseball player. And to have him have this hard of a start of the season is very is a little concerning. But hopefully as the season continues, he'll continue to uh, improve on his defense. Then the bullpen. I don't want to talk too much about it. But I will say, Michael Kopech, look, so far this season has been absolute dominance. Uh, great to see from him. Hoyer has looked very good also. Crochet struggling with command a little bit, but you'll see that in a young pitcher like him. Still has pitched very well. And then Matt Foster, man, just has really struggled. Given up seven, He gave up seven runs yesterday against the Mariners, uh, five earned. Uh, just He's been struggling so far this year. So how do you guys feel after that Angels series and how do you think, especially Matt Foster, uh, do you think that Matt Foster might have just been a flash in the pan from last year? Or do you think that he might bounce back and have a decent year this year? Well, um, to start off with the Angels, I mean, they are a good fucking team. Uh, you, you got Otani, you got Trout, you've got that middle infield. You got Pujols that will hit his occasional home runs. You got Upton, who's a really good defensive player. Um that team is good. Stasi hit a couple home runs against us as well. So I would, and it's so tough. I I can understand where some of the fans are coming from um, when when you see stuff like this. So really, with a team so uh, highly anticipated to do so well, um, you'd think that they would run through everybody. Uh, but that's not the case, and it's and it's baseball. Baseball's hard, um, and you're just not going to be able to win every single game. So with that being said. Um, obviously, uh, I can understand why fans are so concerned because they don't know how hard it is to play baseball. Uh, you're going against a guy that hits 400 foot home runs and then throws 101 at you too. So it's just stuff like that. You got to kind of fight through, um, Robert, it was a fluke guy won a gold glove in the outfield last year as a rookie. Do not tweak about that. His defense, um, bullpen, a little, a little bit concerning. Uh, I think Matt Foster. We'll, we'll see. It's a long season. He's got he's got 
over, I don't even know what, what the percentage would be, but he's got a lot of games left to make up for what he's done. Um, so don't freak out about that as well. Admin does look a little uncomfortable out there, but I think he'll figure it out. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. Um, so overall, it's early. It's early, guys. Fans, just relax. Enjoy it. Um, so it was good to see um, the fans back at the field, home opener today. Um, everybody's drinking beer, having a great time. It was electric. It was loud. Fans back in the stadium. Um, fans booing Mayor Lightfoot and P- J.B. Prisker. Um, just it's, it's just the White Sox, man. Uh, baseball's hard. You're not going to win every single game. Uh, you, if you think they're going to win every this year, you're crazy. And honestly, you should probably not be a baseball fan. Um, strap in. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. Things aren't going to be going in the White Sox direction every single game. Um, and we're seeing positives, especially, like I said, we touched on this from the beginning. Uh, when you have players like Uriman and um, Mendick stepping up and doing this stuff for the White Sox, it's good because when players like Yo-Yo and Jose and all those other guys that you're expected to do things, when they're not doing everything, they're going to step up when you need them to. So don't worry about it. Everyone take a deep breath, and we'll be just fine. Yeah, I mean, what, we're eight games in the season at this point. Everybody needs to relax and enjoy what's going on, man. I mean, baseball is back. I've already sat down and watched every single game we've already had this season just because I'm so happy it's fucking back on TV. Um, don't get me wrong, having a 9-10 start on opening day was not the best. Doing that first West Coast tour where we would played at 9 for, like, the first three games, then played at, like, 8 up in Seattle at a 2 and then our two o'clock game that we got brain delayed to like five, or like three thirty, four o'clock. I want to, I want like a nice night game, like a nice seven o'clock night game in Chicago. So I'm looking forward to, or maybe like a Sunday or Sunday afternoon game. Um, it's been a blast. It has. I'm happy it's back on TV with a team like the Sox that were so gassed up coming into the season. I don't hate the fact we got we got punched in the face in that first series. It's a wake up call, you know. I think every good team needs a wake up call, and I think that first series really was that's what it was. And for anybody out there who's trying to shit on the shit on the Sox for that opening series, saying the Angels suck, you're absolutely absurd. I had a handful of people like, "How do you lose the series to a team like the Angels? You fucking see the team." They made some serious moves this offseason. Brandon's been harping on them for God knows how long to fucking improve their lineup. And they did. And that's what they fucking did. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. They're a good fucking team. They're going to make a run on the West Coast. But it's been it's been fun to watch. The defense is absolutely horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. It's It sucks. Tony Marusa, all the people that are out there saying to, like, fuck Tony Marusa, I knew this was a bad hire, you're literally looking for something to blame on. Like, you already came into the season having a negative feeling about him. You're still looking for the tiniest shit to, to nitpick for him, so you can go fuck off, too. I will say, the – was it last night's game? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was last he, night. He, he managed it horribly. He came out and said that. And if we look back at our history of coaches, Robin Ventura doesn't own up to the media like that. No. He doesn't. Ricky, sometimes maybe he does. So, yeah. Yeah, so, like, the fact that Rob or Bruce's uh, eight, seven, eight games a season, he's like, listen, I fucked up. I should have managed that game better. I know I owned up to it, and I'm going to learn from my mistakes. I respect that. That shit, that can happen in the eighth game of the season. You don't have to sweat it. It's a learning, it's a learning curve. It's just been fun, man. It's It's been a blast. I'm excited to see where it all continues to go. Everybody need, does need to relax, though. We have lots of baseball left. Kopech has been, if I'm picking one bright star out of what I've known so far, it's been him. 
I mean, especially in the Angel series. I mean, uh, Stone and Benetti are out there saying, last thing you want to do is pitch Otani or Trout high and inside in a fastball. Kopech's like, hold my beer, and he guns it right past him. He's it, You can look by the demeanor on his face. He's pissed off. He wants to win. He's ready to go. He's locked the fuck in. And that was our biggest question mark, was how could he respond after shit he went through with Tommy John surgery to getting divorced by his wife? Like, he, this is the best way you could have possibly had him respond. He's fucking embodying it to the fullest extent. So it's a blast. Enjoy White Sox baseball. Because we're gonna get into the so- or in the Hawks a little bit, and I will be say- I'm happy to say that I do have this- the Sox to watch and yes. kind of drown out the negativity from the-, the Blackhawks. Yes. So then after the Angels series, we went to Seattle again with the nine o'clock starts. Uh, it was nice to an extent because me and PT would have baseball till like seven o'clock, and then we'd still be able to tune in for those nine o'clock games. So that was definitely a plus. But staying up for till 12, 11.30, 12.30 was definitely a struggle. Uh, but we did go 2-1 and one against the Mariners, which, again, people are just looking for negative things to say. Uh, the negative thing is we didn't sweep the absolutely brutal Seattle Mariners. You're not going to win every single game against these shitty teams. It's just not going to happen. You're going to lose a couple. And uh, realistically, we shouldn't have lost last night, uh, but... It is what it is. We had a good start from Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Matt Foster came in, had a very rough inning. Like I said, giving up seven runs. Five of those runs being earned runs. The other two were uh, tallied to Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Defense still looks shaky in the series, but the offense started to click, and the offense has continued to click into the Royals series. So that's great to see. So... The Mariners series was good. We came out positive. We won two, lost one. And then tonight against the Royals, won six to nothing. Lance Lynn looked absolutely unreal. Uh, like I said earlier, just absolutely bringing us what we needed for him to bring those nine innings of complete game shutout baseball, which can rest our bullpen. And they'll be ready tomorrow if needed. Uh, hopefully we get to see Liam Hendricks a little bit more. We've only seen him for two innings so far this year. Uh, So hopefully we can get to see him more uh, in this series. So, again, uh, good start to the season, uh, especially without Eloy, without uh, Tim Anderson, who was only there for a little bit and then ended up getting hurt. Uh, He should be back within the next week. Uh, Also, Billy Hamilton got hurt. He should be back within the next week and a half, I would say. Uh, it was a hammy uh, for both of these guys. Uh, Billy Hamilton especially, we need him to keep those legs healthy because that's why we got him. We got him for that speed. And so far this year, he's been very good defensively, and he's been very, very good on the base paths and hitting the ball. Uh, he has uh, definitely had very good contact throughout the year hitting the ball hard. And when you're a guy like that, putting those singles into doubles, those doubles into triples, which is exactly what we want from Billy Hamilton. Uh, So what do you guys got on the game tonight and the series against Seattle? I think the one takeaway that I have specifically is that the White Sox are going to be able to produce five runs again. Um, 
they have the ability to score runs like it's nothing else. I think they have such a special lineup to do that. Um, no matter where you kind of put pieces together, I think another person that really kind of stuck out too is having a really good start to this year is Zach Collins. Um, he's really kind of impressed me a little bit too uh, with his kind of opportunity he has right now. So it's good to see, like I said, these, these lower level kind of guys that we don't expect much out of to produce this much when our guys, our higher level guys, aren't doing that much. Um, Seattle, you know, I love that ballpark. I was there once. I watched the White Sox lose there, unfortunately, uh, last year. or been like three years ago, but um, that doesn't matter. It's a great park. Um, I, like I said, it's early. The White Sox are going to figure it out. They're going to get in their groove. Pitching staff's going to figure it out. I think Kopech um, is going to find his – I mean, it's, it's going to be tough, too, because Rodon pitched so well. Cease, we got to see what happens with him. But Kopech's going to find that – the, the quicker he – um, or what I'm trying to say here is the the more consistent he is, throwing as well as he is, the quicker he's going to find himself in a starting rotation. So with that being said, I, I'm I'm super excited to see what kind of I mean we have a long season ahead of us, and there's going to be so many different moves, uh, especially with the injuries we have right now um, with this team. And I think we, we're going to be able to find um, some really special people too to help us out. So that being said, I, I can't wait to kind of see what the White Sox have ahead for us because. As, as, as much as we haven't really been kind of producing to what we should be, um, I think we have a lot of potential still as well. Okay, so again, with this uh, home opener tonight with the Royals, uh, it was great to see Lance Lynn get that complete game shutout. The first time that that's been done since the 1930s on a home opener for the White Sox. So very big positive for us. Uh, now, I've got a couple questions for you guys, but before I get into those questions, I want to talk about Andrew Vaughn. Uh, got his first hit. Congratulations. I'm concerned, however, with the comments that Tony LaRussa made today about Andrew Vaughn. And Andrew Vaughn did not start today in left field. It was Nicky Williams. I think that'll be the last time that that happens. Uh, I don't think Nicky Williams is going to be on the team for much longer. Uh, but when asked about Andrew Vaughn and why he's not starting tonight, Tony LaRusso said, and a lot of people take this as a positive, a lot of people take it as a negative. He said that he doesn't consider Andrew Vaughn a Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, uh, Luis Robert type player that's going to start every day or start for the most part, uh, he, he said that Andrew Vaughn needs to kind of find his way into the starting lineup uh, on a daily basis. Uh, my interpretation of that is that Tony meant well by what he said and that a lot of people are taking it uh, misinterpreted. But it, I do, with Tony LaRusso saying that, my biggest gripe with it is that he's one of our biggest prospects, and we expect him to eventually start every day. It's early in the season. I know he had his struggles, but especially today, I don't get why Nicky Williams would start uh, instead of Andrew Vaughn. Uh, I think Andrew Vaughn should, especially with Tim Anderson and Billy Hamilton being hurt, we need Andrew Vaughn in the lineup, and we need him to get to the Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, guys that are going to start every day. Uh, he also threw Adam Eaton in there as well as one of the guys that will start every day. Uh, but 
I, I don't. What do you guys think about this? Because I, I feel like, and I just feel like Andrew Vaughn needs to be in the lineup as much as possible. I agree with you to an extent for this reason, um, and I'm not at all putting you in this group right now, Mahoney. Um, there's bozos out there like shy Sox fan Mike. Yeah, big bozo. That blow, that blow things like this out of out of the water. Um, and make a big deal of it when it's not. The issue that Andrew Vaughn's running into right now is the people that are in front of him are, are an MVP and a guy that's hitting 600 right now. Um, so the issue is is that, and then you also look at left field as well, which he's not naturally um, been brought up to play. Okay, So Jose Abreu, MVP for his base, obviously. Um, he's not going to play there until Jose moves to a DH. Um, and then you have your DH hitting 600 when you're in Mercedes, who's lighting the world on fire right now. That's everybody's attention. Now, left field is a little bit of concern. Um, obviously, he hasn't played it a lot in my eyes. And, it's, you know, it's not the easiest position to play. If, if, it, if it was, um, Eli would be playing it and he wouldn't be hurt right now. And look, and look what happened to Eloy. Eloy gets hurt all the damn time out there. So with that being said, I think Larissa meant good by this. And it's just the plain fact that he has people playing better than him right now in front of him. Um, I know he's not going to be—he's not going to get better sitting on the bench. Obviously, no one gets better doing that. Um, so that also kind of brings up the concern. In my point, do we bring him up too early? Um, I'm a little concerned. Yes, he blew it up in spring training. Yes, he did this. And yes, we couldn't predict Yerman going crazy. Yes, we knew that he probably wasn't going to play first. He was going to DH. Um, but. It does bring up the concern. Do we bring him up too early? Is, 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 is it too early for him? And I, I don't think that's that. We, we need to go into that conversation yet because he hasn't played enough. He's just in a tough spot right now in my eyes. And I think that when we find the right position, the right puzzle piece for him to play right now, I think he will find it out and he'll find his groove. Um, and I think the simple fact is that he's just, there's better people playing in front of him right now. I think that's what all you have to look at. I, so my issue, I remember talking to you guys about this a couple episodes episodes ago, was the contract negotiations that we're already considering signing him to a long-term deal without without him even seeing a pitch in the MLB. To me, that raised a red flag. Yes, Vaughn was very good in the minors, but there's a difference between Vaughn being good in the minors and what Luis Robert did in the minors, and there's a reason why Luis earned that contract. <laughs> I don't hate – so if Eloy is not hurt, I don't hate the idea of him not seeing a start every day. I, I will say this, though. I think that with the way that your Mercedes is playing right now, that is having an impact on it too. Because realistically, I don't think any of us – I don't think Tony wants to see Vaughn become a starter in left field. I just don't think that's his position that they want to see him in. And that's why I think he would be seeing a start every day as a DH, but he's not because Mercedes is playing out of his fucking mind right now. So I think that's the way I kind of see it. But, like, we're just really shallow in left field right now. Like, Larry Garcia is a solid guy defensively, but he literally he literally can't hit the broad side of the fucking barn with a baseball bat. Like, he can't. His hitting's not there. It's like we're not going to be able to get the best of both worlds. Like, where I just don't see that happening. So I do think with a guy like Vaughn, I want to see him 
progress, and I want to see him earn a spot in the starting lineup. Because did he has he earned shit? No, he hasn't. At least in my opinion, no, he hasn't. Let him let guys like because we we still have what's his face um Maraza, don't we? Or Mazzara? No, he's on Detroit now. Do we have an outfielder on a DL other than – I thought you Angle. Said, we have Angle that's on That's the, what I'm thinking of. Okay, okay. Still have him coming off hopefully soon too. So he Probably in the next the week or so we'll see him back. Right. So I don't hate the idea that Ed Vaughn is not playing. And honestly, when he's taking the plate, he, he's, he's, he's definitely – you can definitely tell that he's going through an adjustment playing the majors right now. You can definitely see that. Just isn't all there when he's up to, to bat, and it, it's fine. Like, he is your eight games of the season, you're in your rookie season. It's going to take a little bit. You're not going to be able to do shit like what Mercedes is doing. It just doesn't happen. I don't hate it. I actually don't. I, I would say I'm going to disagree with you, Brandon. I, I'm okay with him not seeing a start every day. This early in the season in his rookie year, you know, if we're 80 games of the season, he hasn't earned a spot in the starting lineup yet. It's going to be a little bit more of a concern for me, but eight, nine games a season, not really. So, after listening to you guys talk, I thought of an interesting thing. With Adam Engel, will be coming back soon. Does that possibly mean that we see Andrew Vaughn get sent down? Uh, I feel like this next week before Adam Engel comes back, uh, this is going to be a big test for Andrew Vaughn for staying up in the majors. They'll probably give him this next week, give him a couple starts, see how he performs, and if he performs well, then maybe we see a guy like Nicky Williams get sent down instead, and uh, Vaughn will take that spot on the bench, because I feel like once Angle comes back, he will be our everyday uh, left fielder. Uh, but now going to Tony La Russa, I want to go around and give a quick grade on what how we think La Russa has been so far. Uh, I'll start first. I'll give him a B plus uh, for two reasons. First, until last night, Tony LaRusso's decision had, decisions have not uh, brought the outcome to a White Sox game. Last night, it's possible that the move of taking Keuchel out after doing so well, I know he got the first two batters on base, but maybe we could have seen him try to make get out of it, especially since Keuchel is a ground ball pitcher, could have gotten a double play or something. Instead, he went to Matt Foster. Obviously, Matt Foster ended up giving up those seven runs. Uh, So I'll give him a B-plus for that. It would be an A if last night didn't happen. Uh, What do you guys think so far about La Russa? Uh, First of all, he needs to call his hair. His hair is gross and disgusting. Second of all, he looks drunk on the bench all the time. Um, he, he, he stands does. off in the space. He looks confused. Um, but with that being said, uh, that, that is just kind of some funny pokes at him. I, I really am not really, I really haven't seen anything that really concerns me so far. Uh, there's been a couple missed challenges. I think he could have challenged for sure. Um, but I think the one thing that is most important to me, I think it was a big concern coming into the season is how is he going to mesh with these younger players? Um, and I think it seems like he's doing a good job so far. The team's, I mean, there's no issues that has come out so far. Um, and I think with all the injuries and kind of ship-shifting this lineup to where he needs to be, and all I see this, too, is our fucking lineup sucks. Bullshit, bullshit, all this bullshit on Twitter. We don't have much to fucking – I mean, unfortunately, with this the new MLB the way it is, you're going to be sitting some players sometimes. They're not going to be playing every single game um, all the time. 
And he's going to have to, he's, he's having to fit these puzzles, these puzzle pieces into the right spot. It's tough, man. I got to give it to him. So, me, I'm going to give him an A minus because I haven't seen anything really negative other than the fact that he needs to cut his hair and he needs to stop looking a little confused on the bench. Uh, but with, I, I think he's doing a fine job. Well, there'll, there'll be there'll probably be some things that come up that drops a grade a little bit, um, but so far I'm I'm happy and pleased with what he's done. For me, I'm probably giving it, for me sitting around a B minus. I think yesterday was a pretty. It, it, he he said he fucked up. He he didn't manage that game well, and I respect him coming out and saying that. The reason why I think there's a little bit of a difference between me and Brandon's grade though is because me and Brandon disagreed on whatever game it was against Seattle where we didn't see uh, Hendricks come in to close the game. That was, that was against the Angels when we lost uh, in the bottom of the ninth when Jared Walsh hit that three-run home. That two-run shot, yes. Yeah. At that point, because you, you, you're, you're, you're saying, well, was, we're going to Seattle tomorrow. tomorrow. We might we need him a- then in a winning scenario. Right, right. In my eyes, a 4-4 game going in the bottom of the ninth is a winning scenario because I know if – if I, I trust Hendricks to get out of that position, and now we start in the top of the, in the top of the tenth with a guy like Billy Hamilton on second base, that's where me and you disagree there. And I would have loved to have seen Hendricks come in for that game because he's throwing three, three. He's hopefully he's throwing three batters, and we can move into move in extra innings, and we have a guy like Billy Hamilton or Larry Garcia or Angle or somebody or not Angle uh, Eaton, somebody finding their way on a second base. With our team, the way we're hitting, give me it. So that's why I disagree with you there. So that's why I think I'm a little bit lower than you are. But overall, I mean, yeah, he he does look like he he's hammered all the time. I'm not gonna lie. He it's just aesthetically, he's not the most pleasing person to look at. But hey, man, under all that, he's got a fucking crazy brain when it comes to the MLB, and I'm excited to see what he does. And all I'm saying, like as I said earlier, if people are out here nitpicking him. You already didn't like him coming into the season, so you can fuck off. Because honest God, he's he, you know his lineup's been a little bit iffy here and there, but nothing to raise a f- red flag at all. Like people were freaking out about when we signed him, including ourselves. So I'm fine with it so far. Yeah. So that does it for the White Sox segment. Now we will be moving on to the North side, where things are looking surprisingly good. Uh, then again, the first two series are against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So some of this we will take with a grain of salt. Uh, so in the starting rotation, if I would have told you that Kyle Hendricks would have the worst start out of everybody in the rotation, everybody would probably think that this team hasn't won a game so far this year. But that's not the case. The starting rotation has been absolutely on fire. Jake Arietta has looked unbelievable, untouchable. He, he's kind of looking like that. 2018 Chicago Cub Jake Arrieta, uh, which is exactly what this rotation needs. Trevor Williams looked awesome in his first start uh, against his former team. Zach Davies looked very good as well. But the biggest piece of the pitching staff that I want to talk about is Craig Kimbrell. Congratulations, Craig, on your 350th career save tonight. That is, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of saves for... Uh, Somebody and he he's still young, so never know if he gets back into his prime what kind of records he could break. But with Craig Kimbrell, we're seeing the old Craig Kimbrell so far this year. We're seeing that fuck you fastball. We're seeing that nasty off speed, that nasty knuckle curve. 
Uh, he's come in big situations. Uh, got the save today after coming in the eighth with one out and then closing out the game, which is huge for the Cubs to have that reliable guy in the bullpen, uh, especially when the front of the bullpen might not be as good. Uh, another big shining point of this team is Chris Bryant is playing well this year. That's important to this team considering how big of a question mark he was. Javi Baez is starting to swing it back around after a very rough start. And Wilson Contreras is having a rough start to the year as well. And Anthony Rizzo is doing Anthony Rizzo things, hitting a clutch home run today against the Pirates, uh, hitting very good, uh, good for contact, playing very good defensively. This Cubs team is looking very good early on in the season. Uh, David Ross has done a good job managing this team. Hopefully the rotation can t- continue to stay hot and continue to uh, give the quality starts that the Cubs are going to need because you know with this offense, they're going to have big days They're gonna, and consistently too. They're going to be just like the White Sox, scoring four-plus runs a game. Uh, if the rotation in the bullpen can keep the uh, runs per game uh, at around four, uh, it's going to it's gonna be a very nice season for this Cubs team. Uh, so what do you guys have on the Cubs so far this year? I think they've been kind of a pleasant surprise um, just to see how well they've done. Uh, there was a lot of question marks floating around on how they would do. Um, and they've definitely kind of proved a lot of people wrong because a lot of people are kind of out for the throat saying that they were fucked and that they, if this was going to blow up, uh, they the whole team would be blown up. So um, I'm glad to see that that's not the case so far, especially with all the stuff with Rizzo and everything like that. You don't want you don't want a lot of negative stuff floating around uh, Chicago because it's kind of already a, a negative stigma running through professional teams. So when people keep on adding to it, it's not a good thing um, for Chicago sports lovers. Um, I don't know why I saw this earlier. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if this is, I thought I saw that there was a statistic, statistic posted, um, that the Cubs batting average so far this year was like 138. I was, I was just about to bring this up. So is that true that the Cubs are hitting so average batting? Okay. Yeah, you can go ahead. So here we go. On base percentage is 28th in the league. At 251, batting average is 124, which is dead last in the league. And they're averaging three and a half hits per game, which is 30th in the league. So, and And, and, well, the stat I saw that was compared is that um, NL pitchers are hitting higher than the Cubs. Batting average is higher than the Cubs right now, like at 144 or something like that. So, that's, I mean, that that is crazy to see um, with, with kind of. The Cubs doing well, but the statistics are kind of skewed as well, though. I mean, they, they're fun to watch. I, I mean, granted, I can't watch them because I don't have Marquee Network, and I'm not going to get Brandon on this fucking soapbox about the Marquee Network. But, I mean, hey, dude, if you're a Cubs fan and you were in a dark, dark place heading into this season, you got to be pretty content with what's going on right now. Um, it's, it's fun to watch. I do know that um, – I think this was this morning before any of today's games, but uh, uh, Bray, you had more grand slams than Contreras had hits this season, which is kind of crazy to think about. But, um, I mean, hey, you just enjoy it. Like, if your team's doing well, your team's – I mean, granted, if you play like this whole season, you'll be able to compete. I know the 
the cards swept their last series, and I know the the Reds are like red hot right now. I think they're five and one or six and one right now. Um, so I mean, it, the Central, the NL Central, can be tight, especially if the the Reds plan on staying this good. But the Cubs play like this all season; they'll be able to make a run for it. I mean, that that's going to be a very tight um, race when it comes down to the end of it. But like I said, the fact that uh, Hendricks had their worst start, like nobody would ever expect that. But hey, like I said, what we said in these last last week episode before opening day, the Cubs on paper are not bad. They're not. What well, if the team's able to do what they're able to do or what they're capable of doing, you guys would be just fine. Yeah, and that's that's the crazy thing is that we were always talking about how good the offense is going to be, how good the offense is going to be, and that the bullpen and the starting rotation is going to have to kind of just do their part. And at this point of the season, it's the starting rotation and the bullpen that is carrying this team, which is a positive if you think about it that the Cubs are going to bounce back offensively and get back to their normal self. If that doesn't happen, we are in a heap of trouble and – it's going to be a very rough season to watch. Uh, but And Pat, going on the Wilson Contreras, Jose Abreu, uh, Wilson Contreras got his second hit of the season today. So him and Jose Abreu are tied, if you consider Jose Abreu grand slams to Wilson Contreras hits. So not the best coming out of their star players. Javi Baez had a good day today. Chris Bryant had a good day today. Rizzo had a good t- good day today. The problem is is that Jason Hayward, Ian Happ, David Bodie, uh, Wilson Contreras, Jock Peterson, God, I hate to say that, they are all struggling big time right now. And uh, it, it just, we need the offense to start clicking uh, so we could uh, continue to battle in a very strong NL Central so far this year. Pat, like you said, the Reds are red hot. The Cardinals are red hot. The Brewers are an interesting team who just traded their backup shortstop. So who knows what they're going to be doing this season. They are 3-4 and four, uh, right now. So we'll see how the Brewers bounce back. And the Pirates are 1-6. I mean, what can you expect from the Pirates? I've already gone on my rants about the Pirates this year. So, But if that does it for the Cubs... It's part of this podcast. I have a couple things to talk about baseball-wise. First being that the All-Star Game has been moved from Atlanta to Colorado. We are not going to get into any of the details of why it got moved. But I do want to say one thing that should get our listeners and us very excited. Coors Field Home Run Derby. I mean, just absolutely. We're going to see 500-plus shots regularly during this home run derby. Uh, and I know Pat said an interesting thing. Your mean Mercedes home run derby, possibly. That would be awesome to see, but we'll see. Uh, and then lastly, this is some breaking news. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, but about an hour ago, The Athletic posted that Trevor Bauer is under investigation by the MLB for having substance on his baseballs. Uh, kind of a deeper uh, look into what happened. So after his six and two-thirds innings against the A's while only while allowing two runs and striking out ten, uh, the MLB said earlier this year that they're going to be cracking down on substance abuse, uh, not necessarily steroids, 
but using pine tar, uh, things as a pitcher that'll make the grip of the baseball different and may give a very big advantage to the pitcher. After the MLB announced these rules, Trevor Bauer posted a video saying how he disagrees with these new rules and how they're really going to be focusing on it, which already threw up a red flag towards Trevor Bauer. And now uh, the baseballs that Trevor Bauer was... So you know how when there's a foul ball or the pitcher doesn't like a baseball, they'll throw it off to the side and uh, they'll get them marked and the MLB most likely sells them for money saying, hey, here's the... 16th pitch of Trevor Bauer's start against the A's, and then you'll buy it for whatever. But they started noticing that the baseballs had, like every single baseball that Trevor Bauer threw was sticky, and and there was, they don't know if it's pine tar, but there was some kind of discoloring to the baseball, which threw up another red flag. So today those baseballs were sent to the MLB commissioner's office where it will be investigated on if he is uh, using substances on the baseball. And this could, I mean, we could see a suspension. We could see a fine. Trevor Bauer and the MLB already don't like each other. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do you guys have anything on these reports and the Home Run Derby at Coors? So so first of all, the Home Run Derby is going to be electric. I think that the Home Run Derby should be held at Coors every year just because of the how many home runs would be hit out of that park? I uh, would just make it ten times better and way more entertaining, uh, more than it already is. So, with, Tre- with Trevor Bauer's situation, so I was just scrolling through Twitter, um, and I, I really didn't look into. I just saw two big paragraphs tweeted from Trevor Bauer. I didn't even really read it. I just kind of scrolled past because I usually see that normally from him because he loves social media. He loves expressing his feelings. Um, I just went back and read. Um, He's basically calling that article clickbait and that it's bullshit. And when I really kind of think about the situation is it's tough. It really is because, one, um, there's only so much substance you can use on a ball to where it almost gets to a disadvantage for the pitcher, I feel like, especially playing. Uh, When you use pine tar on a bat, there's almost a a point where you can't even take your hands off the, the bat. So if he uses this much where they know the ball is that sticky, um, you, you got to wonder if it really affects how well he actually throws the ball. Um, and also, you're, you're supposed to, like when you get new baseballs, they're mudded up. They, you, you, we, at, at Carthage where we play, we mud up our baseballs. We have, we have a substance that we put on our baseballs to make them not as slick. Um, so that could be another thing, too. I think it will be really interesting to see what they come out and say what is on the baseballs. Um, but... I think this. I don't know what to think about. I think, and my I'm right now originally on Trevor Bauer's side. I think that it's just another kind of thing to kind of get him in trouble and kind of get some more news, especially kind of get you know. I feel like the MLB is always trying to get people on like the bad side for some reason. They're always trying to catch Trevor Bauer on his bad side when he's not doing something right. When he wore those cleats, it it was it was negative stuff. Like I don't know. Uh, so it will be really interesting to see what happens with this whole situation. Um, I hope it doesn't because I think Trevor Bauer is actually positive for the players and how where the game goes because I think he's his interests are um, in the right mindset for this game to kind of be uh, what they say get the game back to normal or bring it back from the dead. So hopefully it's not as it's not what they're saying it is, but we'll, I guess we'll have to keep and see. 
I think the Home Derby in Coors Field is going to be awesome. It's going to be an absolutely beautiful setting. You give me that shit on like a July night, uh, yeah, like July night with like a like a oranges type like sunset. It's gonna be fucking beautiful. I'm all for it. Trevor Bauer. I okay, I'll say this: if he is using pine tar, okay, whatever. I don't really care too much, honestly. He's gotta be doing a damn good job of hiding it. If he hasn't gotten actually caught, I mean, I, whenever I think of pine tar, my first, I don't know about you guys, my first initial reaction or like thought is Michael Pineda. And dude, when he had the shit slathered on his neck, it was fucking obvious from the camera to see it. But, dude, he's not the only one. Like, there are so many pitchers doing this. Like, why you, like, is, do you really get that much of an advantage? I don't know, you guys play baseball. I, I mean, like, it, for. If you consider it for me and PT's level at D3 baseball, no, you're not going to get that much of an advantage. But the guys that are throwing 98, 97 in the bigs. So pine tar doesn't really affect spin rate. It doesn't affect the movement on the pitches. It, it really affects the location. It gives the pitcher better command, better ways to hit his spots, and a lot, of, a lot of professional hitters have said that they are okay with pitchers using pine tar because that means less times they're getting hit, and they're okay with that. They, there are some players that want it, like, legal, and they want it to be a, a, a commodity that the pitchers have. So it's, it's an interesting uh, debate right now. We'll see what carries on with it if Trevor Bauer does indeed get into some type of trouble. But that does it for the baseball part of this episode. Pat, take it away with the Hawks. We got a lot of interesting things to talk about. Nah, have have they officially the lost to Dallas? It's like 5-1 to one and like 10 and stuff in the third, so yeah, we did. Okay. All right, let's get into the Hawks. I don't want to, but we're going to fucking power through it. Um, we are currently losing like five to one to Dallas in the third period right now. So yeah, we we lost. Um, we're currently sitting. So wait, wait, before plate. before you start, panic button room. Where All right, are so we? we're in, okay. So we're in, we're very much in the room. Um, I'll, I'm not gonna lie. The case was opened after um, we lost to Carolina. We got fucking smoked by them, and I'm like, okay, this is not good. We went and played Dallas on Tuesday. We played pretty well. End up winning. Case was closed. Mayor, I had to feel a little bit better. Was hoping to do a lot better tonight. It's not happening. Uh, my hand is on the case right now, about to open it. And the reason why it's not open is because of this trade we just made today. And I kind of I'll get in that a little bit though. So panic button is it's we're we're, we're pretty close to it. The case, hands on the case. We can easily blow us out of the water. Like we're we were expecting to make the playoffs for quite some time. The way we started, we had Kirby Doc. <laughs> We're expected to even be better, and we're not. We're really sucking. So it's very possible we don't win the playoffs. We're sitting in the Central Division right now with 41 points. Um, those points are not going to be moving after tonight's loss to Dallas. Uh, Nationals is ahead of us in the four spot at 43 points. So the four spot isn't out of reach, but we got to get our head out of our asses pretty fucking soon. Um, so I think with the Hawks right now, the, the more important stuff going on is we have the trade deadlines coming up, and it's April 12th, um, which is this. So we're recording this on Thursday, April 9th. Uh, April 12th is going to be this coming Monday. A couple days ago, actually about eh, like 
just it was in between podcast recording. So we had already posted last week's episode, and it was in between this recording that the Hawks had reacquired Vinny Henestrosa. Uh, for those who don't know, Venezuela was a, tar- a part of that trade where we traded Hosa, but really it's Hosa's contract to Phoenix, along with like a third round pick and like Jordan o- Osterley or something like that. Um, so we traded. So Venezuela found his way back to Pan- the to the Florida Panthers with Joe Quenville. Um, he didn't have the best of seasons this year with Florida, so he found his way back to Chicago in exchange for Brad Morrison, a guy from Rockford who. We basically trade an AHL ready, AHL ready player for a guy like Vinny, which I, I, I like to trade a lot. I actually do. Because I think in our bottom six, we're pretty slow on the wings. And Vinny is a guy that has some skill with a puck, and he's pretty fucking fast, too. And tonight, um, in his, I think this is, this is his second game, he already is already on the point sheet. He assisted on Kubo East School tonight. So <clears throat> I think he'll be able to find a pretty good groove and build some nice chemistry with our team. So I'm excited to see him back in a Blackhawks jersey. But as of today, um, the Hawks did make a sizable trade. And I think Barstool Chief said it best that it's a lot of names that a lot of people don't really know about, which is fine. But there's room for this to be a significant trade in, in the coming years. It's basically the Hawks traded Lucas Walmart, who was in and out of the lineup, basically useless for us. And D-Man, who's a forward, by the way. And that D-Man, Lucas Carlson, who was like that 7th, 8th man type uh, D-Man who was finding himself in the lineup every four or five games, if that, depending on our D-man situation. We did trade them to Florida in exchange for forward Brent Connolly, D-man Riley Stillman, as well as the rights to, proce- rights to the prospects, uh, Henrik Borstrom, and a seventh-round pick in the 2021 draft. It's expected that uh, Brett Connolly and Riley Stillman are going to find their way into the lineup within probably for this Columbus series coming up this weekend. How Stillman is going to find his way into the lineup, I'm not too sure given our current D-man situation. We'll have to see. Same thing with uh, Connolly. I think he might be uh, – we'll, we'll just have to see where he, he finds his way into the lineup. It's going to be similar to like Walmart. Uh, Sky, where he's in and out every. Well, it's same thing with Carlson too. It's going to be guys that are in and out a lot every couple of days. So they're kind of like bubble players essentially. <clears throat> Henrik Borsham is where I want to hit on right now because this guy is the number twenty third overall pick in the twenty sixteen draft for Florida. He was he played at the University of Denver, which Ian Mitchell is from, but they didn't play at the same time. Dude was damn fucking good at, at Denver. Was legit, a legit dude. He's a six three forward who can skate like a motherfucker, and he's like listed at like 193 pounds, which I don't think is true. I don't think it's accurate. He's got to be a little bit bigger. If you're 6'3", 193, you're playing in the NHL, or playing in the NHL level, so he got to be a little bit bigger because he's pretty skinny at that point. That's beside the point. The dude's a fucking mammoth, and he can fucking move. He's a great guy. He, he's, got, he's got some issues, though. So he's currently playing in Finland, and his issue, though, is he lacks drive. He hasn't really bought the reason. Like the, the Panthers have tried with all their might to try to get him to buy into like an off-season routine to make sure he can kind of become ready to be in the NHL. Just hasn't done it. He's playing over in Finland right now. If he can, and it, this is a great point too that Barstool Chief made, is a guy like Borstrom, Joe Quenville, and the way that this Florida team is playing right now, they don't have time to deal with a guy like Borstrom. If you're not willing to buy in, go do your own fucking thing. We're trying to win a Stanley Cup right now. A guy like Joe Quinville, he's not got time for that shit. The Hawks kind of do. Yeah, so, we definitely do. 
We definitely do. So he's currently in Finland. I'd love to see him try. I'd love, I, this, it's probably going to be this, this offseason. The Hawks are really going to try to get him to come over to the States, get his head out of his ass, and really start to develop. Because he has a lot, of, a lot of potential. If he can really fill into the body type that he is and play at an NHL level, which I think he has the caliber to do so. It's all about the mindset. It's guys like him that are going to be hard to find. So overall, this trade was more of a camp, a cap dump for Florida with the, the contract that Connolly had as well as uh, Stillman. It's the Hawks were able to eat it because the Hawks have so much cap right now between not having Taze, Shaw, and, and Zebra call me on long-term IR. We have a lot of money to work with. Similar to what we did with Hosa trade where Phoenix had – cash like there was no tomorrow so we gave him hosa the eight hosts contract so we can make some moves around that so i would expect florida to make some pretty sizable moves in the upcoming days for the trade deadline because they cleared a lot of cap today with that Connolly contract i think it was like three and a half million for till like 2023 oh like i said overall it was a cap dump for the panthers for the hawks it's a couple guys that aren't going to make two series of an impact this season uh, hopefully, it will, it, the goal is it's going to solidify their spot to push for the playoffs. Who fucking knows if we're going to keep playing like we're playing tonight? But this Borgstrom guy, somebody definitely somebody you want to keep on your radar because, like I said, if we can get him to the states and get him to buy into an offseason program, and hey, if Jeremy Colleton is this young guy whisperer that he's supposed to be, then this is his opportunity to make a shine because this guy has a lot of potential because not many times you're going to find a forward that's 6'3 and can skate like there's no tomorrow. That's what I got on the Hawks. What do you guys got? The old, I'm just going to say this about the Hawks because I feel like next episode I'll have a little bit more of a feeling of where I stand right now. Just like last week, I'm still in the middle. I'm like a step or two behind you, Pat, in that, in that room. Uh, I'm not – quite at the button yet, but tonight's loss is rough. I mean, losing 5-1, to one, uh, I mean, that's a blowout. That's not good for team morale, especially when we're in this uh, quote-unquote playoff race. Uh, we, need, we need to, if we're going to lose, we're going to need to lose close games. Uh, losing 5-1 to one really hurts this team, uh, but I'm not panicking yet. Uh, the, I'll give this team another week to kind of show me what they got. Hopefully it's a couple wins, but until then, I'm going to stick away from giving my Blackhawks, uh, feelings, but I'll just say I'm in the middle right now. I'll fucking get in this talk too about where I'm at in the panic button too, because like I said last week, I was sitting on a beach with an umbrella drink in my hand. And there was no care in the world. Well, I sat up and I might have spit my drink out a little bit. Um, there, there is some concern, um, especially I think Pat brought up some really good points uh, last week when we are making a playoff push. And if we don't really, if we aren't successful, then we're fucked in the draft. So, with that being said, Pat, is there a possibility where we get to a point of games where we're too far behind where we just start to tank? What do you think? I mean, I'm not a person to, like, I just hate the idea of tanking. I really do. But I think at this point in the season, there's so many worse teams out there that, like, draft pick-wise, if we're getting, like, a – I don't I don't know. Granted, I honestly am not too aware of the Hawks' uh, draft, draft situation. I'm not sure what our picks look like for this upcoming draft. But a first-rounder, 
I mean, and plus too, I don't even usually you hear a couple names creep in when it comes to upcoming drafts, usually around this point in the season, because this is where people start really beginning to see, all right, are we going to start pushing for a top draft pick or what are we going to do? And there's always some names floating around. There really isn't a lot of prominent names in college hockey or overseas or anything like that that are peeking into this, the draft talk right now. So at this point in the season, that's why I'm kind of near the panic button is because at this point in the way we've been playing, I feel at this point right now, it's too late to turn back. we got to make a push for the playoffs at this point. I think I think you're 100 percent right when you think about it. Um, so that kind of relaxes me a little bit. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm thinking clearly on this, um, but I think that we're in a mode where we're so far behind that the panic is almost out of sight for me. Um, for this reason is that if we're making a playoff push, then it's playoff push or nothing. Um, we can't get anything out of it, and that's kind of things. That's something we have to kind of leave in the dust. Yeah, we might not do um, as well as we want to, but this was something that we thought that we wouldn't even make uh, to this year. Uh, so, with that being said, um, I'm, I'm back in my I'm back in my chair on the beach. I got a new drink, and we're just gonna continue to watch Blackout Coffee. Yeah, and I think that's all I really have. I don't really want to talk about the Hawks too much. Let's jump on. A much more positive aspect, the other side of the United Center, Chicago Bulls. We were in a little tough spot last week when we were talking because we added Nikola Vucevic in a pretty big trade in the trade deadline, and we weren't really doing too well after we picked him up. That has since changed since our last podcast. Um, after tonight's win, we are, uh, have won three straight. We are sitting at 22-28, and 28, which puts us still in the 10th seed in the Eastern Conference with the Pacers at 9, at 23-27, and 27, and the Knicks at 8, at 25-27. and 27. This team has started to look pretty damn good over these past couple games. Um, we've picked up a dub against the Nets, which, hey, we're being the Nets, we're questioning the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. That's a pretty big Pretty big win, and then we just beat the Pacers a couple days ago, and then we beat the Raptors tonight. The Raptors, yeah, they're they're having a really tough season at this point right now. But I do want—I mean, the big thing that we were all talking about this trade deadline was how are Zach Levine and Vucevic going to be able to mesh together? Because now Zach Levine has a legitimate pick and pop center that he can also roll to on the net, and it's been pretty 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 obvious how. I think Zach likes Vucevic a lot, and he's ready to play for him for a long time or play with him for a long time. So in that win against the Nets, we won 115 to 107. Vucevic had a hell of a night: 22 points, 13 boards, two assists. Zach had 25, uh, 25 points, three boards, and five assists. And Tom Staderanski jumped in too with a double double himself with 19 points, one board, and 11 assists. Um, that our whole starting five that night against the Nets all had 10. 10 plus points, 10 plus points, which for a team that's questionably the best team in the Eastern Conference, and your team needs to show up after a rough stretch of games, that's the best way to do it. Where your whole starting lineup rallies together. Warren Marketing came off the bench that game. Colby White did not play that game is either. A hell of a game for the Bulls, and I think really, I mean, that that stat line that Staterancy had nine one, 19, one and eleven. That I want Colby White to have. That's what happened. You have a pick and roll and a pick and pop center in Vucevic. 
Sadaransky's like, hey, if Colby White's not going to do it, I'm going to step in and do it myself, and that's exactly what he fucking did. Jumping into the Pacers game a couple days afterwards, we did win a 113-97. to Vucevic had a hell of a night with 32 points, 17 boards, 5 assists. Zach almost had a triple-double with 19-8-6. Bad 14-7-5. Colby White had 13 points off the bench, which, hey, off the bench, I'm cool with bad at that point. If we're coming off the bench, I'm fine with it. And Warrior Marketing was back that game as well. 15 points off the bench, too. I mean, hey, it's, it's, this team is starting to click. I don't have the stats for what they looked like tonight. Um, I can pull it up while the other, the other guys are talking. But the team is starting to rally. They really are. I think it, we, we said, too, we need to relax for a second. The trade just happened. They probably had one or two practices. Now they're starting to get a little feel for themselves in the court, starting to build a little bit of chemistry. I mean, hey, the Eastern Conference is up for grabs. I mean, it really is. We can make, easily make a quick run for it. Once we start pushing towards that eight seed, once we get past the Pacers, and that win against Pacers a couple days ago was really big for us in terms of pushing for this Eastern Conference playoff spot. We have a lot of room to move. And once you get into that eight seed, or right around that eight seed, six so literally, like four, five, six, seven, and eight seeds in the East Conference are all neck and neck. Like they're literally like a, a half a game, a game, two games max of between each other. I'm enjoying it, watching it. Like I said, it's good to see there's one team United Center is having fun right now. And I, like I said, people are really shitting on this this Vucevic trade. I think the fact that he dropped 22 and 13 and then 32 and 17, it speaks a lot. Like he's ready to play. He's he's tested. And I think he's going to do just well with Zach Levine and Coley White. What do you guys got? Yeah, I mean, shit, this team's starting to click. Uh, talking about Vooch and that trade, I mean, tonight he dropped 22, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists. Uh, but huge from Thice coming off the bench with a double-double, 14 points, 10 rebounds. All of the acquisitions right now are playing very well. We're seeing the team start to mesh. Zach Levine... Sure, we're not seeing those 40-point games anymore. We don't need those 40-point games anymore. We're seeing them have more assists, more rebounds, really contribute to the team as a whole instead of just scoring. And then Colby, who sat against the the Nets, had 13 points against the Pacers, and then tonight having uh, 15 points. So very very good last two games. Then Laurie having 15 against the Pacers, and then 18 tonight off the bench. Those guys need to really produce so they can... I mean, Laurie, this is huge for him. I mean, this is a contract year. Uh, He can really make himself some money with this performance on the second half of the season. So this is important for him. And the Bulls, I mean, we're just starting to click together, and it's great to see. And just, you you could sense the vibe is starting to click with this team. Uh, like Pat, you said, and like how I said last episode, with how they needed a couple more practices to really mesh together. They needed a couple more games. Well, now we're at that point where they are meshing. Uh, we got a big game tomorrow night against the Hawks uh, that, that can really help us uh, with the standings. Uh, so hopefully we come out and play well. And then we got the T-Wolves coming up who are struggling. We got the Magic coming up that are struggling. This is a big stretch for the Bulls to really get back into the playoffs. We're only two games out of that eighth seed right now, so these next couple games are really going to be big for us, whether it's we lose both the next couple games and then we fall further deep away from the playoffs. I mean, that's going to be tough if we get 
four games, five games out from a playoff spot. But if we could come away with wins these next couple games, we'll be in that eight seed. We'll be battling for that eight seed. And a lot of positives right now with this Bulls team after a rough start after those trades. Now having three straight wins, like Pat, you said, uh, with the number one team in the Brooklyn Nets, that's huge to get a win with against them. So, PT, what do you got with the Bulls? I think you guys made two great points. I just want to emphasize them a little bit is the fact that this team wasn't going to be great right after this trade. Um, I don't care who it is and who comes together. They're not going to play great together right away. They have to understand the offense. They have to understand the coach and who they're playing with. Um, So we're finally starting to see them play together and play well. Um, So that's good to see. Those two wins, especially being the Nets and then the Patriots, who we're kind of in a tight race for, um, is a good sign. We kind of talked about this in a lot of uh, the last podcast with the Blackhawks. You got to win games uh, with the people you're competing for in the last spot, and the Bulls have done that so far, and they need to continue to do that. So if they do that, I think they're going to do just fine. Um, and I think Brandon, you brought up a great point with uh, Lurie. He's in a miss year. He's in his contract year. He's got to, he's got to play to make his money, man. Um, and if he continues to do that, not only is it going to help himself, it's going to help the Bulls as well. Um, so with that being said, I, I think the Bulls are in a good position, and I think we're looking we're looking positive, looking forward in the future. I can't wait. Yeah, I mean they they got they got nothing to lose, man. They really do. They they understood where they stood. They understood where they were at when they came into the season. Uh, AK made a pretty pretty sizable acquisition that Garn Packs wouldn't have made, and. Hey, we took them a little bit, but they, the wheels are turning right now, and they're ready to make a push for it. And I'm excited to watch the rest of the season go through. Um, typically, the NBA just doesn't really do it for me until the playoffs roll around. But if I'm able to sit down and have a competent Bulls team on, that they're making a push for the – I mean, hell yeah, I want to see the Bulls make the playoffs. Like, I mean, what are we going to do like, – like, again, it's in our Hawks situation. There's a lot worse teams in the NBA right now. The chances of us falling in the lottery are probably slim to none. So, that being said, we got to make a push for the playoffs. Let's fucking do it, man. I want to see Zach in the playoffs. I want to see Vucevic in the playoffs. I want to see it all. So, when it comes to the NBA, you know, it's 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 starting to pick up pretty soon recently. Or it's going to be picking up pretty soon. But college basketball did, did just call it quits. And it was a great end of the season. We start on the women's side of things. It was a hell of a championship game between Stanford and Arizona. Uh, Stanford does come out with a win, fifty-four to fifty-three. Baylor does win the championship and the men's side of things. Boys, I, do we do we sleep on Baylor this year? Oh, one thousand percent. They dominated this entire NCAA tournament. I mean, Gonzaga undefeated season. They were really they were really in the spotlight the entire year. I mean, Baylor had two losses. It was to Kansas on Kansas senior night. And they lost to Cade Cunningham in the Big 12 tournament. But, I mean, they literally – there was only one team, I think I heard some stats somewhere, that covered their spread um, against Baylor in the tournament. It was their number one, whoever they played in the first round. It was like a 25-point spread, and they, hit, they covered it by like a last-second shot. Baylor rolled through everybody. And, I mean, we I, I, we, I turned on that game and expected Gonzaga to – I mean, they're an offensive powerhouse. I was expecting them to really put up some good points. And Baylor was ready. I almost want, I hate to do this PT, but I'm going to do it. It reminded me of the Loyola Illinois game where it seemed like Baylor had fucking 10 guys on the court. They were smothering every possible inch of the court. Wherever, wherever Gonzaga had the ball, they were there. They're ready to defend. It was a great game. People were shitting on it. It was a blowout. I get it was a blowout. 
but Baylor came ready to play, man, and I think I think we slept on him a lot. What well, you guys got in the championship game? Uh, we slept on him big time, uh, and I'm kind of I'm disappointed in myself, especially because in my in the group that I had my bracket challenge in, the first time I submitted my bracket, I had Baylor beating Gonzaga. Afterwards, I completely changed my mind, completely changed my bracket, had Illinois winning, so definitely hurt me in the long run, but just an awesome March Madness again this year. Uh, Baylor coming out with the win, just, they were dominant, and you know what? I don't think that people respected their dominance as much as they should have, us included, but there's a lot of people that were down and out about Baylor winning the uh, championship. And they they made sure that there was no doubt in people's minds that they were the best team this year. Absolutely steamrolling everybody. Uh, just absolutely dominating. And uh, congratulations to them. I mean, they a hell of a year. Uh, but uh, looking back at it, there is no team close to how good Baylor was. So congratulations to Baylor. I mean, the fact that um, Gonzaga came out and just kind of, I, I don't even know how to describe it. it. just It was just weird to me. Um, I, I think Baylor played, and I'm not taking anything away from Baylor. I think Baylor played unreal. Their defense has always been their, their star of their game and why, why they're so good. Um, they obviously showed against Illinois and all the other teams they've played throughout the year. Um, and I think Gonzaga was going to run into a team that was going to give him problems. They've kind of shown it, especially in their conference tournament, that championship game. Uh, they had to win in a last-second shot in a couple of games of tournaments. They had to win in a last-second shot. Um, so I think this game this game was very highly anticipated, and it was going to be a great game, and it ended up as a blowout, in my opinion. And the, the fact was is the defense is and is and can be the outlier in these games. We saw, especially with Illinois, Loyola played much better defense and smothered their offense. Um, so with that being said, I think, yes, I slept on Baylor, even though uh, the main reason they beat Illinois is because of how good their defense was. Uh, so with that, I, with that being said, that's kind of on me, I think, and I think I was kind of just blindly and delusional with <laughs> Illinois, I, I guess you have to say. Um, it's, it sucks, and uh, whatever with that – Whatever with that being said, I think congrats to Baylor, and they, they had a hell of a year. And same with Gonzaga. I think you should take nothing away from Gonzaga. I think they played real, uh, no matter what anybody, what, what anybody says. I mean, they didn't play anybody. Well, who cares? They lost one game this year to the national champions. So with that being said, I'll move on to Illinois real quick, boys, if you don't mind. It's, it got worse for me. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I thought the madness was over with Illinois losing to Loyola in the second round and in in the tournament, and it turns out that Adam Miller, the guy that was going to take over the program, is transferring. Uh, it's never a good feeling when I saw that. I was looking; it would happen on April Fools. I was looking; I was digging deep for that April Fools tweet uh, in the comments, and I never found it. I still haven't found it. So, um, a lot of people uh, came out and were, were angry with him. Um, and yeah, it's understandable, uh, but you gotta you gotta give it to the kid. It, it's it's in his best interest of what he's doing. I heard multiple rumors about um, he didn't want to share the ball with Curbelo, who definitely is going to take over the program now. 
which I think he actually had the better year between both of them. Uh, but I'm not taking anything away from the kid. He came, he stayed home. Uh, he was he was a contributor throughout the year. He made big shots when he needed to. Um, and wherever he ends up, they, they're landing a great kid. He's he's going to be a scorer, and he's he's going to be the kid everyone thought he was going to be. With that being said, um, another loss Illinois just received today was George Bashanasvili, who was a kid that we came who came in and no one really knew anything about, uh, and he kind of. I wouldn't say light the world on fire, but he definitely came in and made a great impression. Uh, freshman year, he kind of stepped up as our big man, and he, he danced, and he did all this crazy stuff that kind of everyone loved him for. And he, he had this role where he had to kind of adapt with Kofi, um, uh, coming in and taking his spot and being his roommate. And he, I think he adapted real well to it and understood what he needed to do. Um, so with that, I wish him all the best of luck. He's been a great guy to our program. He he declared for the draft. I don't know what how he's going to do in that. Um, a lot of people are thinking he's going to end up in Europe, uh, where he's from originally. So I wish him the best of luck. Um, Illinois. They, I don't. A lot of people are saying, "Is this the end, of Illinois?" So that, no, not not at all. They got Andre Cabello. They have Coleman Hawkman. Um, I think they're still going to be decent. Decent and um, a big thing too is they have Florida transfer Omar Payne, who was a big part of Florida's success last year. Um, being a big man, so I think Illinois still has a bright future ahead. And I'm, you know, college basketball is great this year, especially with all of the crazy COVID stuff that was put in place. And everyone that was a part of it definitely deserves it. And then on top of that, I don't want to short either. The women's basketball too was unreal, um, especially with uh, I think those games with Arizona being Arizona beat or was it who who beat uh, South Carolina? Was it Stanford? I yeah. Amper beat South Carolina. Crazy end of that game. The girl that actually missed the layup went to my high school. Uh, fun fact, um, which is crazy. She was a year younger than me. She's a sophomore in South Carolina. Um, shout out to Bree Beal. Um, and then I, I think women's basketball definitely was put on the map this year. Um, and I think they're, they're t- that tournament's going to blow up as well. So um, congratulations to every all those college athletes this year for basketball. You guys fought through a crazy year, and um, well, it's crazy to see what happens next year. Yeah, I mean, it's Illinois definitely, they put their name on the map this year, and I think they're going to be able to get a lot of recruits, regardless of whatever happens between Miller and obviously seeing Io move, uh, probably declare for the draft. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna get some some draft, or they're going to get some uh, recruits coming in. I think it was, it was best for them, and I definitely don't rule them out going forward. We do have a couple news in regards to some coaching changes. Uh, the legendary coach, Roy Williams in North Carolina, has finally announced his retirement from starting in 1978 as the assistant coach to the legendary Dean Smith at North Carolina, to then going to Kansas. Um, and I think he, he coached, for like, coached for like 13 years in Kansas and then came back to North Carolina uh, after that to finish out his career there. These stats that I'm about to read off are mind-boggling to me. He three NCAA tournaments, his first coming to U of I in 2000, 2005. Uh, our uh, alumni, Bobby Frazier, won his second. Roy Williams was the second one in 2009 when Frazier was on the team. And then won one in 2017 as well. Three NCAA tournament titles, nine Final Four appearances, nine ACC regular season title records, three ACC tournament uh, title records. And then I'm not even – he's got stuff with the Big 12 as well when his time is Kansas. The dude is 903 and 264 
as his career win loss ratio. It's a basically a seventy seven percent seventy seven percent of the game seventy seven percent of the games that he was he was coaching, his team won. Seventy nine and twenty seven in the NCAA tournaments and four and one in the NIT. Who cares about the NIT though? So a legendary coach, he announced his retirement. Um, so a lot of the rumors, this is how Chicago media works. Porter Moser Porter Moser's head into North Carolina. That's not the case. Porter Moser, finally, we all knew this was going to come. We did. With the way he was coaching that Loyola team, we all knew his time in Loyola was coming to an end shortly. And he is headed to Oklahoma to be their head coach, um, which they Loyola was – I feel like Loyola was kind of expecting it because they announced their new head coach shortly after, a couple days after Porter decided to leave. Um, and it's actually Denzel Valentine's brother is going to be the new head coach of the Loyola Ramblers. So – Interesting shakeup to see. I wish. I mean, I know everybody in Loyola wishes the best supporter because he put Loyola on the map. Loyola has been running the NBC for quite some time right now. It's definitely running it through my um, ISU Redbirds. But it's gonna be basketball. College basketball is something special. It really is. One shining moment video was awesome. All that good stuff. You know, it sucks to see it come to an end. But like I said, once NCAA March Madness starts to wind down and it comes to an end, is when the NBA starts to pick back up a lot of race or a lot of we got the playoffs right around the corner as well so that's what i got for when it comes to basketball pt you got anything no nothing else i just think that next year will be even crazier i think this year definitely set the standard uh for basketball kind of being very uh even and anybody can win and it definitely set a standard for college football too uh, that's definitely been a high talk, so we'll definitely get into that talk when that comes around as well uh, with college football playoffs. So, but that being said, man, I think that's all we got for college basketball. Yes, that does it for this episode of the Cloudgate Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Very jam-packed episode. A lot of things that we will be talking about next week. Uh, baseball is going to be even more deeper in swing. We're going to get updates on the Hawks once again. The Bulls might be inching closer to a playoff spot. We will see. And then maybe we'll get some more Bears news. Maybe talk a little bit more about the draft. But make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the good stuff. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you in the next one. Peace. Jackson Pike looks up, you can put it on the board, yeah! Taves center for Kane, he scores! Oh, Patrick Kane set up by Jonathan Taves! The dynamic duo comes through in overtime! Hawks win! Looking, finds Rose. Rose trying to get open, fires away! Fifteen to the twenty, breaks free to the twenty-five to the thirty to the outside forty. Mixed-